Sometimes learning the Bible can feel a bit like learning all the names in a history textbook. But God's promises make many Bible names very important to know. Thanks for tuning in to The Bible Brief. Today we're going to take a quick break from the narrative to do a review of the people that we've met in the Bible on the jog through so far. Now as you know, we've skipped over many people and have attempted to highlight the especially important folks at this point. That's not to say those we skipped over aren't important. It's more just to say that the people we'll review today are somewhat of a baseline from which to add. Eventually, it's good to know some basic family trees, especially from the book of Genesis. And this isn't just to memorize for fun. No, these early family trees end up having some consequential functions later in the Bible. So we should try to learn them as best we can. With all that said, let's look at what we'll call the first family of the Bible. We're going to focus on five people first, Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Adam and Eve were the first couple created by God in his image and likeness. Remember, Adam was created from the dust of the ground, and then Eve was made from a rib out of Adam. God told this first couple to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Adam and Eve got to enjoy the wonderful Garden of Eden until disobeying the mandate when they failed to rule over the serpent. The serpent, who began his temptation of Eve, saying, Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Eventually, Eve took the fruit from the single forbidden tree, and she gave some to Adam, who was apparently silent during this temptation of his wife. In this act, The first couple brought death into the world through their disobedience to God's command not to eat from that particular tree. This death would manifest in two ways, spiritual death via separation from God and eventual physical death. Further, the effects of spiritual death would be transmitted to their children who would inherit a corrupt nature and would be sinners themselves. They are exiled from the Garden of Eden to the east. Next, we met two of their children, Cain and Abel, and you'll recall that at one point they come before the Lord to sacrifice to him. Abel brings the best of his flock, called the firstfruits, and sacrifices the animals to the Lord, while Cain brings a portion from the regular stock of his harvest. God prefers Abel's sacrifice to Cain's, and Cain, in jealous anger, murders his brother. Cain then becomes a picture of allowing sin to rule, and he's banished further east from Eden. And then we saw that Adam and Eve had another son, who they understood as a replacement for their murdered son, Abel. This new son's name was Seth, and they understood that it would be through Seth that the promised seed of the woman would come to defeat evil. So the first family was Adam and Eve, and their three sons, Cain, Abel, and Seth. While Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters, the Bible puts a laser focus on just these three sons, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Okay, so after this first family, we did a fast-forward, and we met a man named Noah, who was a descendant of Seth many generations after this first family. Noah is probably best remembered alongside his masterpiece, a big boat called the Ark, that housed his family and many, many animals. Remember, they took refuge in this boat when God flooded the earth to do a reset of humanity with Noah's family. Now, after the flood, Noah sacrificed to the Lord— And God responded to this faithful act by instituting the Noahic Covenant, God's promise to never again flood the earth in judgment on humanity. 
and he signified it with a rainbow. Soon after this promise, we saw drama in Noah's family. After Noah becomes drunk, which is somewhat of a callback to sinning with the fruit back in the garden, we see two of his children honor him while one dishonors him. Remember, one of Noah's sons comes in and sees his father's nakedness, and instead of covering him up, he goes and tells his brothers. This was a wicked and ungodly thing to do. Back when Adam and Eve were naked in the garden, God covered them up with an animal skin. Noah's son instead decides to spread the news of Noah's nakedness in a shameful way. Noah's righteous two sons, however, refuse to look on their father and instead cover him up. As a result, we see the cursing of Noah's grandson Canaan, who was apparently involved in this act of dishonor toward Noah. Noah said this, Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. This is the first indication we get that Canaan's descendants will serve the descendants of the righteous two sons of Noah. This becomes important as we continue in the narrative. Years after these events, and after a rebellious episode in the city of Babylon, we met Abram, a descendant of one of the righteous sons of Noah. And it's to Abram that God makes some of the great promises of the Bible. Remember in Genesis 12, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. This is the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant, where Abram is promised the land, seed, and blessing. The land of Canaan, many seed or offspring, and that a single seed will provide blessing for all the nations of the world. One thing to note here is that we see the curse of Canaan already playing out in this promise. The land where Canaan's descendants were residing would be given over to the descendants of one of Noah's righteous sons. Okay, so the old man Abram was promised a descendant, and we soon see him trying to accomplish what was promised through his own effort. So Abram lays with Hagar, his wife's slave, because his wife Sarah was old and barren. And then, nine months later, Hagar has a boy named Ishmael. Abram assumes that God will accomplish his promises through Ishmael, but God says to Abram, no, it will be through a son from his wife Sarah that God will accomplish his promises. In this scene, he renamed Abram to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. And in this renaming, he was underlining his promises that he made to Abraham. And so later we see Isaac, the son of the promise, who Sarah has when she is 90 years old and Abram has when he's 100 years old. God miraculously provided a son to this old couple. A generation later, we met Isaac's twin boys, Esau the older and Jacob the younger. Remember, God had said to their mother before they were born that, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And in their lives, we saw this begin to play out. Using deceitful methods, Jacob gains the birthright and the blessing belonging to his older brother. Then, later, Jacob has an encounter with God, who changes his name to Israel, meaning something like struggled with God. Jacob, through his life, had struggled for blessing. Yet now, Jacob, renamed Israel, no longer had to struggle and deceive for blessing. Instead, he would simply receive and be a participant in the blessing, 
it would be through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel that the great blessing to all the nations of the world would come. Now the man Israel had twelve sons, and we focused on one of these sons in particular who was sold into slavery by his brothers and ends up in Egypt. This son, Joseph, through the gift of dream interpretation given to him by God, rises to second in command in the country of Egypt. And then he saves many nations by good planning for a seven-year famine. And it's in context of this famine that Israel's other eleven sons come to Egypt for food. And eventually, Israel and all of his household move to Egypt to outlast the famine. Then time passes, and around 400 years later, the twelve sons of Israel have been fruitful and multiplied and become the twelve tribes of Israel. And they are enslaved in Egypt to a pharaoh who did not know about Joseph. It's in this context that God commissions Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery in the great exodus from Egypt. And after this miraculous deliverance, God continues to use Moses as his tool to reveal his law for the Israelites at Mount Sinai in the wilderness. This law that would be the rule for the people as they dwelled in the land of Canaan. Well, while Moses is receiving the law from God, his brother Aaron makes a golden calf for the people to worship. As they choose to worship a fake god over the real god who spoke to them from the mountain. And despite his sin in making this idol for the people to worship, we come to find out that Aaron will be the first high priest in the tabernacle tent of meeting that God commanded to be made as part of his law. It was Moses' brother Aaron who would be the first from the tribe of Levi, one of the twelve sons of Israel, who would perform the sacrifices in the tabernacle that God detailed in his law. Finally, after forty years, And then a long speech by Moses reminding the new generation of the law, God commissions the next leader of Israel named Joshua. He will lead the people into the promised land of Canaan. Finally, we met Rahab, the righteous prostitute who had faith in God and risked her life to save two Israelite spies. For her righteousness, she and her family were spared from the destruction of her hometown of Jericho. And soon, she and her family were assimilated into Israel. Now that was a lot of names. But at this point, many of them should be becoming familiar to you. And if you're still struggling along, just re-listen to this episode a few times, or find where you're struggling, and maybe go back to that episode and listen again. Okay, so we do have one last name. And that name is Yahweh. A potential pronunciation of God's four-letter Hebrew name that he revealed to Moses. Remember, this is the name that he wants to be remembered by. And often this name is translated as, I am who I am. In this name, God is expressing his identity as the one who was, who is, and who is to come. The one who simply exists. The one who has always and will always exist. This name is an expression of his eternality. God's identity is the always present one who is the God of all ages. This is perhaps the most important name that we could remember, because it reminds us of the always and ever-present God who exists even now, at this very moment, as you listen to this podcast. Join us tomorrow as we do another thematic review. We're going to point out just a few things to notice before we move on with the narrative. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Have you donated to the Bible Literacy Foundation? 
We'd love for you to partner with us so that we can expand our reach and grow. Your support means more people will have access to the life-changing story and message of the Bible. The easy way to donate is to click the link in the show notes to this episode. Alternatively, you can go to our website, BibleLiteracyFoundation.com and click donate. Thank you for making this show possible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.